This is the GDC Life podcast. But you know, a lot of the connections with my dad was when he was watching TV and I was watching TV, and he might say a, a comment and sort of I felt, oh wow, he connected with me. Like as a little kid, you know, little things feel like you're, that's your way of that's how God is. That's how I was. My heart was getting filled because my dad re- interacted with me watching TV. And that's not a, again. That's not a, an amazing picture, is it? Of your relationship with your dad. I, I grew up and saw some pretty full-on things. Um, you know, domestic violence was a part of our upbringing. We saw domestic violence, you know, physically hitting. Dad physically hitting mum. I'll never forget one time, I was a little, I was, must have been nine or ten years old. And in the laundry, I don't know if Tony remembers this, it was me and you were together. And there was a bunch of hair, a massive bunch of hair, not a little bit, a lot of hair. I don't know, when we just, when I picked it up, what's this? I just knew straight away, this is mum's hair. And I, and I went to mum, I said, mum, what's this? Is this? Did dad do this? And she, she just started crying. And so you, when you grow up with that wrong brokenness, it's easy to form your own wrong brokenness, isn't it? It's easy to form your own beliefs. But I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ at the age of 19. So there's a lot of stories I can tell you of my upbringing that could have formed me in a really bad way. But once you come and give your life to Jesus and your heart to God, the Father, He's the Father of all lights. He's the Father that's beautiful. That God, God has only good things to give us. I just want to separate this in your mind. Anything like The devil comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. That's what the devil tries to do. That's the enemy. That's, he's from the kingdom of darkness. But from the kingdom of light, God the Father, he comes and gives us good gifts and only can give us good gifts. He's a beautiful father. So don't ever confuse things that happen to you. Oh, maybe God's trying to teach me something. No. God's got nothing in heaven bad to give you. Jesus' prayer was, Lord, let your will be done on earth as your will is done in heaven. That's his prayer. There's no violence in heaven, no bad things in heaven, no sickness in heaven. There's no hatred in heaven, no, no unforgiveness in heaven, no pride in heaven. That's the will of God here on earth. So we want to learn how to have healthy relationships. We, 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 we established last week that the biggest thing you can do for having healthy relationships is to come back to the Father. Have your own healthy relationship with God. Because the first commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So when you love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you truly love Him, He's going to fill you with love. Then you've got love to give, and it says love your neighbor as you love yourself. Then you can love your neighbor. But I can't love others well. I can't love my wife well unless my relationship with God is in a good place and He's filling my heart with love. Then I can unconditionally love this woman. Because every wife needs unconditional love. Do you believe that? And I can't do it. I can't do it in my own strength. You can't do it in your own strength. This relationship with God empowers us to have healthy relationships. I can't stress that enough. But when we, the good news is if we're part of the kingdom, we have access to the presence of God. We have access to God himself. God as our father. We can come before him. And so we talked a lot about that. And then I talked about loving your neighbor as you love yourself. The Bible says you should love yourself. So if I don't love myself or value myself, then I won't be able to value others. To the degree that I value myself, I'll be able to value others. And you are, and you, you know, there's like a screen, let's say a windscreen that you, through those windscreens, that perspective of life, if you think you're hopeless, you're no good and you're unworthy, you don't deserve to be loved, you'll attract people that will not love you correctly. 
Because you don't deserve to be loved. You don't, you don't, and when someone treats you badly, you just say, oh, that's okay because I don't deserve to be loved. No, you've got to know how to be loved. Know that you are loved. You already have love. And now you can love others unconditionally. Now, these things are so important, but they're the foundations of all the things that we're going to talk about how to have healthy relationships. Because if that's not in place, you can try to fix the fruit. But the root is not in the right place. The root is rotten. The root might not be getting its source. If the root of a tree is not getting water, doesn't have, it doesn't have a connection to water, and doesn't have sunlight, the tree will shrivel up and die. No matter what you try to do to the tree, you can speak to the tree, come on tree, produce fruit, what's wrong with you? Why are you unhealthy? Because it doesn't have any water source. So that's the same with relationships. As long as you've got the water of heaven, the, 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 the water of life, that out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. You're connected to the source. Then you can love others unconditionally. One of the things about healthy relationships is we need to spend quality time. Any type of relationships, you need time together. Quality time. Quality time is vital. Sometimes we're starved of quality time, and that's the reason why we, we, we're at each other. Because someone's sometimes the opposite, the opposite sex, or maybe a friend, their love language is quality time. Because different people have different love languages. So quality time is vital. Uh, you know, they asked uh, 1,500 students in a national study and asked what they thought made a happy family. They didn't list things like money or cars or material things. They, 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 the number one thing they, these children listed was parents to show interest in their activities, to do things with them and talk with them. I say fathers spend very, very, like, I forget what it was, like 17 minutes a week with their kids. Something crazy. Children will not, will not forget meaningful one-on-one -on -one relationships. A man called Charles Francis Adams kept a diary. One day he wrote, went fishing with my son today, day Wasted. This is what he wrote because he's a busy man and he thought, I went fishing with my son today, day wasted. On that same day, Charles' son, Brooke Adams, noted in his own diary, went fishing with my father today, the most wonderful day of my life. Imagine that, your kid is the most wonderful day of his life. But he's, oh, wait, day wasted because it wasn't productive in his mind, business. But you're investing, pouring time, quality time. When we're all on our deathbeds, if there is going to be a time where you're like just at the end of your life and you die that way and someone asks you the number one question, what would you do different if you can live your life all over again? Imagine you're in your 90s and you've lived your life and you've got your, your fresh memory. and you, Regret's a bad thing. Regret's very painful. But imagine, imagine, going, imagine, imagine that old person ready, ready to pass on, ready to go to heaven, and he thinks to himself, oh, yes. One thing I always think about is that I should have spent more time in the office and just made more money. I mean, surely that's not going to be what his last thought is. His number one thought would be, I, would, I should have spent more time with my family when I had the time. I should have spent more time with my children when I could have. I should have spent more time with my loved ones when I could have. That's the, that will be the number one regret. It will be relationship because we spoke about last week. Relationships are the most important thing to us. It enhances life. And it also can carry the burdens. You rejoice with those who rejoice and you weep with those who weep. It, you, when you celebrate, you celebrate with loved ones. If you've got no friends and something good happens to you, you can't multiply your joys because you you've got no one to share it with. And it's true of pain and grief when you've got someone to sh 
carry the burdens with you. Actually, you can feel them carrying it with you when you weep with those who weep, as the Bible says. So number five, let's move on. Walk in love. We need to have an attitude of love, an unconditional love. If we go into a relationship purely with what can I get out of it, you'll be surprised, and I'm just going to be very frank with you and very honest, you'll be surprised in the Western culture, we are brought up and, and we've been trained and equipped to think along these lines, what's in it for me? Most of our thought pattern is when even a deal, a sales deal, uh, you know, a, a, a project, a relationship or anything, what's in it for me? What am I going to get out of it? That's a selfish mindset. We're trained to think that way. And if in a relationship you think, okay, um, I'll love you as long as you love me, then you've gone in it the wrong way. It's almost like we put conditions on. I'll do this for you if you do this for me. When we, do, when we put conditions on our relationships, we're not walking in unconditional love. We're walking in what we call selfish, filio, man love, man, uh, just human being love. It's like friendship, but it's between people rather than this unconditional agape love of God. The word agape literally means unconditional love. And uh, you, know, you can look it up in Ephesians chapter 5. It tells us, man, man, husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, washing her with the washing of his water through his word. He gave himself up for the church, the bride, and he washed her, the bride, with the washing of his water, presenting his bride, the church, to himself without spot, without wrinkle, or any such thing. So how does Jesus wash the bride? How does he prepare the bride to be beautiful, without spot, without any wrinkle? He, he Bible says he laid down his life on the cross, gave up his life for her. That's, that's a agape love. That's laying down your life for her, washing her with his word. And what does Jesus do? Before you even accepted Christ, Jesus says you're forgiven. He says you're redeemed in me. That in him you have redemption. It's a legal, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's legally done. The, the legal redemption that Christ died for us, has been paid for, then Christ says, I forgive you, I, I give you righteousness. You have the gift of righteousness when you put your faith in him. It's like he washes us with his words. His words are creating the reality once you've accepted those words and believe it. You, you and I have to accept those words, but he has spoken it out. I believe the same principle happens between a husband and a wife. A husband lays down his life and he washes his bride with the washing of, his water, washing of the water of the word of God. He speaks the word over her. He sees her through God's eyes. He speaks that out to the best of his understanding of what he sees God sees her like. And God sees your wife like a princess, like a queen. So we've got to learn to speak that. There are going to be times where you might say something you shouldn't have ever said. Repent. Ask God to forgive you. But your washing of you. And I read that when I was, I, I saw that revelation before I got married. And the Lord said to me, Leo, do you want a beautiful bride or a monster? I said, I want a beautiful bride. Well, it's up to you. It's up to you with your words. Your words bring healing. Your words bring love. But you, you can't do that without seeing it through God's eyes, can you? You can't do that unless you go before God and actually be filled with this unconditional love and then love unconditionally. You know the whole story, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patience, love is kind, love, you know, thinks... Uh, doesn't, it, it, love um, doesn't think of itself. Love is not proud, not arrogant. 
And you put yourself in that. God is like that. God is love. God is, so you say God is not, God is patient. God is long-suffering. God is kind. God is not proud towards me. God is not self-seeking towards me. But I can always put that, I am patient. I am long-suffering. I am not self-seeking. I am not, because I want to walk in love. I could start to renew my thinking, thinking I'm going to lay down my life like Christ lays down his life. I'm telling you, this is the key because we've got nothing better than the world if we love like the world, which is selfishness. Selfishness. Why are the divorce courts filled? They don't have agape love of God. Talk about people that don't know Christ. They're not, they don't have access to the agape love of God, the unconditional love of God. I believe we need to have this love. Um, first, I mean, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Nothing means nothing. Nothing out of selfish ambition or vain deceit, but prefer others better than yourself. Wow. So in a relationship, in any relationship, you prefer that person. That's love. Lay down your life. This is what love is. Lay down my happiness. Lay down my pleasure to fulfill their happiness, their pleasure. That's love. Lay down my happiness to fulfill theirs. But lust is the opposite. Fulfill my pleasure at the expense of someone else. That's selfishness. Lust for desire, desires of other things that are wrong. That's putting me first at the expense of others. Love is laying down my pleasure at the expense of fulfilling someone else's desire. In God, we're not talking about fleshly desires. Are you with me? So number six, quickly, when you got this love and you start to walk in this unconditional love that comes from the Father, you start to build trust. Trust is like air. You can't see air unless it's polluted. But once trust is polluted, then you can sort of realize, oh, I don't have trust. You, we need trust in, in a healthy relationship. And I, and I thought to myself, well, how do you build trust? The only way I can think of it, it takes time, first of all, because we're all at different levels, all at different backgrounds, all at different levels of insecurity. But trust can be built in a relationship when you keep your word. When you say what you, say what you mean, you mean what you say. If you say something, you keep that promise. You, you, when you say something, it's the only way you can trust something. And obviously not lie. That we don't lie. We're transparent. We're real. We're honest. If you lie, you're going to break trust. You're eroding trust. And you can't have healthy relationships with health, without healthy trust. You have to have this thing called trust. Trust and love is connected. So, so trust is vital. If you, like, some of us have very little level of trust. Therefore, we have very surface-leveled relationships. So you're not going to get deep nourishment from relationships because we don't trust ourselves. Therefore, we don't trust others. Remember, the, the, the perspective of life that you look through will determine how you will treat others. And therefore, that's the level of relationships. But trust is really important. I can't, I can't imagine any other way to build trust except for keeping your word, obviously, not lying, being honest, being real. The other thing is when people put a mask on, why do we put a mask on? What's a mask? You know, you put a mask to be somebody you're not because you're not happy with who you really are. You actually believe that if I showed you the real me, you wouldn't want to love me. So I have to put on a mask to, to be, the, the word mask is uh, like a word in the Greek, hypocrite, because the actors used to put on masks for acting. So they would act another personality thinking, if I act this personality, then I might be liked. Because if you saw the real me, I don't know if you, because it's insecurity, I don't know if you'll love me. I don't know if you'll accept me for who I am. So what do we put masks on? 
because we're not secure. We don't feel we're loved. So we put on a mask, and that's not going to build trust, is it, in a relationship? You have to be real. Take the mask away. But again, by, by spending time with the Father, He's going to heal you, and then that wholeness, you can, you can live your life. So trust is really, really important, and we can speak a lot about this, but let's move on. From trust, number seven is honesty, because honesty builds trust, which in turn allows you to be more honest. Depending on the bridge, so the, we all build a bridge of trust with people. So to, the more I know people, the more that build, I can build trust with them. So I can actually be, let's say I can bring two tons of, tr- of, of uh, truth across the bridge. But if I tried to bring four tons of truth waiting over this bridge and I drive over this relationship trust with four tons, I'm going to correct them about all their life, I might lose them. Because they're not ready for it. They don't know that I love them. So I can't bring all that truth over. It might take me years before I can build a relationship to I can, I can, be, I can bring all this truth across. It might take months. It all depends. Are you following what I'm saying? Because you've got to be sensitive. Remember I said relationship is an art. It's an art form. You can't just go, oh, I'm going to just bring truth across to everybody. And you just bring truth across this bridge that you don't even have. You're going to hurt people with truth. We're supposed to speak the truth with love. So you just can't go, I'm going to blurt it all out. I don't care. It's the truth. It's the truth. Praise God. Well, you're going to hurt everybody with the truth. Do you have a relationship trust that, that you can bring honesty, truth across to that bridge and they can handle it? And they, they see that as love. Okay, you're telling me that because you love me. You want the best for me. And they welcome it. You can tell when, when people are teachable, it's because they trust you that you want the best for them. Number, number eight, let's move on. Walk, I mean, sorry, work through your disappointments in relationships. This is really, really important because we're living in a broken world and we all have heaps of disappointments when it comes to relationships. I can still remember that one of the first disappointments I had in a relationship. It, I was, must have been, oh, I might have been seven or eight, very young, at a hospital. Because my sister was in hospital for a rash and we used to go, and I played with this little boy mucking around playing. We just had so much fun. His name was Jamie. We, I couldn't wait to go to uh, the hospital to play with this new friend I found. We used to play. In a, and I, in fact, I can, I'm 54 years old. I can still remember his name. One day, this is what happened. One day I went to hospital and I was so excited. My heart was so excited to just play with this friend of mine and he wasn't there. Because he's, he's not longer in hospital. He got better and he's just gone. And I, I wasn't ready for that as a little kid. It's funny how you can get hurt. Little things. It just, my heart broke. I remember the pain I had. Now, that's, that's, I'm just saying, using that as an example, we go through this all the time with relationships, with disappointment. Because when you, go, when you enter any relationship, you and I have a re, an expectation of what I'm going to get out of that relationship. Even if it's, I'm looking, for a new, I'm looking for a new church and I want to find friends. And I'm going to find friends. Oh, I'm going to build relationships with all these new people that I've got. And, and, I, and you might think in your mind, yeah, within two or three months, I'm going to be best friends of everybody. And actually, it might take two or three years before you can really find genuine friends. And you're more likely to find two or three close friends. Because that's realistic. You can't be best friends with everyone. Does that make sense? So if you have a wrong expectation, then your heart is, oh, and then, you, then the devil starts lying to you. Yeah, no one, no one loves you here. Know you haven't even made any friends, and, and you're not really. It takes time. In the world we're living in, in Sydney, with the busy lifestyles we have, and how, how much we live all over the place in Sydney, the community, we're just different. In certain churches, they're so, 
Oh, you t- take you to South Africa. Everyone, most places, they all go to church in the same area. Plus, all of them got domestic help. That would help a lot. You know what domestic help is? It means you never do any domestic work at home because you've got people to do it. Man, if I had that, I'd have all the time in the world to connect with other people. Anyways, I'm just talking about the fact that context is so different. And so in our context, you and I will, I can tell you all these little examples of times where I was disappointed with people. But when you get disappointed time and time again, it's so easy, isn't it? so easy to shut your heart up. Well, I've given my heart so many times and I just got hurt. And, I, and if I open up my heart and give it away again, they're just going to hurt it. But love has to remain vulnerable. There has to, you're just obviously going to be a bit more wise with this expectation, being real. The answer to wrong expectation is not no expectation. So many people react to the wrong expectation. I got hurt so many times. That's it. I'm not going to have no, no expectations with relationships. I'm just not going to put my heart out ever again. You'll be a very lonely old man or old woman. You'll live in your own little cage that you've, pre- you've presented yourself. You've protected yourself from other people. Don't get too close. That's close enough. Thank you very much. The last time I opened up my heart, I got hurt. Not too close. But who's in prison? Hey? Who's in prison? I'm in prison. I put myself in this prison because I don't want to trust. Because I've been hurt. I think the second time I went to church, I think I got hurt by somebody in my church. Second day. I was so excited because something spiritual happened to me. And I went to tell this one of my mentors, helping me, feeding me, discipling. I said, guess what happened? And he just walked away. I was opening my heart up and literally didn't want to hear it. Oh, okay. Thank God I stayed in church. It happens, doesn't it? It's going to happen to you and I all the time. Real expectation. That's why the next one is, is forgiveness. Because you're going to get hurt in relationship. In marriage, we've been married for almost 30 years. Guess what? We still have to exercise forgiveness. Forgiveness means to for. For means before. To give before. See, I believe you can get to a place where you don't even get offended. I believe you can get to a place, you can even get to a place where I've already forgiven you before you even hurt me or even after you hurt me you didn't even ask for forgiveness I've already forgiven you what did Jesus do on the cross when he hung there father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing Jesus as being God in the flesh yes he's the son of God but he's also the son of man being a man he could still say forgive them they don't know what they're doing in his heart he's already extended forgiveness they're doing the thing to him they're piercing his side. They already pulled his beard out. They already put the thorn of, crown of thorns on him. They already bashed him. They already whipped him. And they're still ridiculing him. And as they're ridiculing him on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Isn't that a beautiful place to live from? Jesus used an example quickly. I'm going to show you a video. Jesus used an example when he talked about forgiveness. In Matthew 18, 24, if you want to look it up, I'll just paraphrase it. He told the person that a master had a person that, he, the, that person owed 10,000 talents. We don't even get this example because 10,000 talents is is astronomical amount of money. If you had to work for the 10,000 talents that they, that guy owed the master, it would take you 60,000 days of work. 
60,000 days of work. They, they calculated the amount. It's like $3.4 billion. I used to say the, the amount was over $20 million because it's something you can never repay in your lifetime. But it's billions of dollars. You cannot repay this amount. And remember when Jesus said to this guy, he goes, he goes basically, if you don't pay me, he had the right to, to sell his children and, and, and get him to repay the debt. And the, the master said, I forgive you of the whole debt. But you know the story. He did rejoice over the fact that his, sins, well, his debt was forgiven. He found someone that owed him $20, grabbed him by the neck and said, you owe me $20, mate. And I put you in prison if you don't pay me right now. This is the same guy that was forgiven a debt he could never pay. Jesus actually says that what, the, what, what we're supposed to get out of that story is we all owed God a three to four point billion dollar debt. You try to live for 60,000 days of labor to repay this debt you and I owed God. You cannot repay your debt. I cannot repay my debt. But Jesus hung on the cross, shed his blood, lived a perfect life, then died on the cross as if he was the sinner in your place and in my place. So God says, I forgive you when you put your faith in Christ for free. It's a gift. When you get a revelation that you did deserve to go to hell and you did owe God a free four billion dollar debt you can never repay in a lifetime thousands of lifetime and God just forgives you I don't know about you but I would chuck a party if, so, if my bank manager said Leo I have forgiven your mortgage debt I've forgiven it 300 something thousand it's gone what I probably would invite everyone over and, and buy some meat a few calves and barbecue and let's celebrate just for 300,000 imagine if you owed God an eternal debt that's why it's good news. That's why it's the joy of the Lord. That's why we rejoice that our sins are forgiven. But when I really, 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 really believe I'm forgiven, when someone hurts me, it's like a $20 debt. Don't you think you should have all the money in the world, spiritually speaking, all the forgiveness in the world to forgive a $20 debt? Of course we should. And this, this is in relationships because gunk, junk, and blockages in our relationships builds up when we allow unforgiveness, frustration, just to let it stay there. And then you wonder why you're short-tempered. You wonder why you're snappy. Because you're letting unforgiveness to be built. You're holding it against that person. No one's perfect. We all make mistakes. We're all going to mess up. And you're going to have to forgive all the time. Forgiveness flows. I want to show you a quick video which is powerful it really moved me big time because sometimes we need to see real life examples just watch this please it, it, it's a very very powerful example over the past few years i've been on this journey of writing songs inspired by the real life stories that people sent to me this one story in particular has had a profound impact on me. It hit me kind of hard. It's about a woman who did the impossible and it made me ask myself if I could do the same. Renee had four kids. Two of her daughters were twins. Megan was coming home from the beach one night with her best friend when their car was struck by a drunk driver named Eric, a 24-year-old kid. Megan lost her life. Eric killed both girls that were in the car. Renee lost her daughter in an instant. Next thing she knows, she finds herself in a courtroom watching this young man, this 24-year-old man, get sentenced to 22 years in prison. 
Renee wrote to me and said, I now have a mission that I never would have chosen. What she meant by that is that in the years that follow, she began to travel around to schools and churches and different functions, and she would speak about the dangers of drunk driving. But as the years progressed, she felt like something was missing from her presentations. And that's when God put it on her heart that she had not forgiven this man who took the life of her daughter. And so she reached out and did the impossible. She reached out to Eric in prison and said, I forgive you. The ripple effects of that act of forgiveness are still being felt today. That young man's life was absolutely changed because this woman forgave him. He said, I can't even forgive myself, and she forgave me. Eric said he found his eternal salvation as a result of this act. One by one, all of Renee's family members followed her lead, and they reached out and expressed forgiveness to Eric. So much so that now they describe Eric as part of their family, like a son to Renee. The story doesn't stop there though. Renee went to the courts along with her family and she was able to have Eric's sentence cut in half from 22 years to 11 years. This blew me away. And the reason she did it is so that Eric could have a second chance at life and so that he could join her in their presentations. She told me that now she shares not only about the dangers of drunk driving, but also about the power of forgiveness. Now the story behind this song is from someone right here in our area. We're gonna let her tell the story. She won't know you're here. Are you comfortable with hiding? I'm comfortable with hiding, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm nervous right Me now. Me too, my balls are so She's no idea. She has no idea I'm here. Yeah, no. she doesn't. She doesn't even, and this is the thing, she, um, she has no idea that, that there's been a song written inspired by her story. I'm in another room waiting to go in there and surprise Renee. I can see her on a video screen. She has no idea I'm in the room right next. And you submitted the story, I know, to, uh, to Matthew West. It's a story that needs to be told because right. not for me. It's not about me. It's about God and it's yeah. about forgiveness. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to chance this. And I sent it in and I just prayed, you know, God, if this is supposed to happen, then I just, you know, hope that it will. You know, we know Matthew and... Uh, he wrote a song about your story. No way. Matthew has sent us the song because he wanted you to be one of the first people to hear it. <laughs> oh my God. Are you ready to hear it? Yes. It's called Forgiveness. It's called Forgiveness. seen him in concert or no, did you and I wanted to see him I he was you know I tried to go see him when he was in West Palm because I thought that I would have a presentation down there and right. I thought During and the then story of course of you know, yeah yes uh, no actually I don't know if it was that he, he he tried you know he's like right. um they sent out a thing if you're going to be in any of these cities and they were all too far away and then when he was right. 
at the uh, thing in Orlando, I thought, well, I'm going to, you know, go see him, you know, then. Right. And I had to go present. So you so. never could make the connection never with him could. personally. Never could. Never seen him? No. Turn around. <laughs> Where are you? Oh, my God. <laughs> There's a part two to that, which we won't show today, but you can YouTube it and have a look at the second part. But um, she, the, I don't know if you caught it, but the whole family petitioned the judge to cut his 22-year sentence to 11 years. They, they, they pleaded with the judge to halve it, and the judge, for the first time he's ever done, gave that the young man, the, the son, someone's son, who made a mistake when he was 24, when he was drunk, killed two daughters. Not, not, not one of her daughters, but two um, ladies, two girls. And uh, he, there's a scene where he weeps and cries. And he goes, I, I, if I could, I'll give you my life. This is the son who did it. I'll give my life to give, him, to give the daughter back. He was weeping and weeping, so remorseful. And he got born again in church. The only reason why he got born again is someone extended forgiveness. The mother of the daughter extended the forgiveness and he got born again. And then when they were traveling, because she travels everywhere preaching to all these young students about drunk driving and the county jail or the state of the allowed him to come out for four nights to, to, do, the, to do it with her. And then his sentence got cut. Now they're traveling the whole world, traveling to tell people about forgiveness and, and the dangers of drunk driving. But you know, there's, there's, you've got to understand forgiveness isn't for the other person, it's for you. Forgiveness isn't to set that person free, it's to set you free. And so if you can have your, just have a moment in God's presence right now. Because there's people here that need to just release. It could be people that have loved ones, family members that abused you. Which, you know, physical abuse, sexual abuse, verbal abuse. It could be friends, it could be someone that's really let you down. Someone that you just really, really heard about. And God just says, let them go. I forgave you of a debt that you could never pay in a million years. And through that acceptance of that forgiveness, Christ has completely accepted you. And once you've accepted that forgiveness, you have the forgiveness and the love to forgive others. So for some, maybe you need to accept your own forgiveness with Jesus. If Jesus would walk into this room with his nail-scarred hands, he would have his arms wide open, ready to hug you once you accept his forgiveness. He's not holding your sin against you. So maybe there's people in this room that just need to make peace with God and just say, yes, I'm not running anymore. And that's you. Just slip your hand up. You say, I, I, want, I want Jesus' forgiveness. I want Christ to accept me as family. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. I want Jesus' complete forgiveness. I want, to, I want to become a Christian. I want to follow him. I want to make him Lord of my life. Anybody else? Do you want to make peace with God? Just in case there's people in this room. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, sir. You're accepting Jesus' complete forgiveness because he died on the cross for your sins. He paid the penalty. 
There's not a thing you can do to deserve this forgiveness. He forgave you before you were even born. He extends the forgiveness. And Father, as these people have put their hands up, we just thank you right now. Maybe just repeat this prayer before the Father with me. Just repeat after me. Father God, I thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I turn away from my sin. I give you my heart. Jesus, be my Lord. Be my Savior. I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, for forgiving these people right now that have accepted you for the first time. And I pray, Father, as we release forgiveness, just any person that has come to your heart or to your mind or to your memory, just release them. Just say it out loud. Father, I release that person. I forgive that person. I let them go. I let them go. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Peace with God. And because we find peace with God, we find peace with ourselves. And we forgive every person that's ever wronged us. We let them go, Lord. We let them go. In Jesus' name. Amen. I pray and trust you did that by faith. Don't go by your feelings. You do it by faith. Amen. And when you make that decision, do it by faith. You've let them go. Amen. Thanks for listening to the GGC Life podcast. If you'd like to partner with us, you can visit ggclife.com forward slash give. We hope you have an amazing week. Be blessed.